All right, we are uh, we're live right now. We're trying this out. So this is this is not like something that I, I guess uh, we'll publicize it better in the in the future in the coming days. But this is more of a test run uh, to make sure that I actually knew how to do this. Turns out I did actually know how to do this. It just uh, took a few extra steps. It wasn't as simple as maybe I would have liked it to have been, but I got it figured out. So we are live right now on the EMA Online YouTube page. And then if you're one of the people that ends up listening to this and catching it after the fact, well, that's fine. It is what it is. But just know going forward now, I know what I'm doing. And I am going to be well aware of how this is going to go. So if you are going to be joining in for the first time and listening for the first time, I'm Mason Both. I'm the managing editor at EMA Online. Alec Bussey, is, uh, he does it all for us. He's our utility guy. He's, he bats lead off. He does a lot of different things. Uh, he covers the Cats really well, despite only being here for 25 days now and in a position where uh, he, he has been very focused on the Adrian Martinez situation, which last night uh, it, it took its biggest bump that we've seen so far this season with the way that things uh, – you're giving me a look there. like that's, bump? that's not, Yeah, it took a big bump, a big bump ahead. Like, you know, you get a rating like bump sometime. Yeah, it's a good bump. I mean, there are good bumps and bad bumps. Adrian Martinez had a really good bump last night. Like he got bumped up uh, in the way he looked. So things went amazing in in Norman for K-State. And uh, I, I guess we'll just start uh, with some general thoughts on the game because it was it was pretty incredible what, what the Cats were able to do last night. Yeah, to go down to Norman and win in back-to-back years. Not back-to-back years, but back-to-back trips down to Norman, one of the most difficult places to win in the Big 12. And you've done it against a top-10 team each time, a top-6 team actually. The last few times Kansas State's gone down to Norman, they've escaped with a win. And to do it on the back of Adrian Martinez, who I feel like in the eyes of a lot of Kansas State fans is probably the most unlikely Kansas State fan to, or Kansas State player to lead the Wildcats to a dramatic win on the road is what makes college football so special. It's why I think I fell in love with, with the sport. It's the unexpected things happen in the sport more than any other sport in the planet. And it's almost to a point now where it's almost like it's predictable that the unexpected things are going to happen. But Adrian Martinez goes for 148 rushing yards, four rushing touchdowns, um, and none bigger than none bigger, no bigger play than his 55-yard run uh, with about two minutes left in the game in the fourth quarter. He scampers out of the pocket on a four verticals play on third and 16. He gets all the way down to about the Oklahoma two, three, four-yard line and eventually pushes it in a little bit later with about a minute and 58 seconds left to essentially ice the game. And Kansas State wins a game 41-34 after Oklahoma gets a touchdown to make it a one-score game again, but 234 yards passing through the air with another touchdown. So he combines for five total touchdowns and over 380 yards of Kansas State's 509 total yards. So that was the Adrian Martinez, the magical, miraculous, marvelous, whatever M adjective you want to use to describe Adrian Martinez. That was the Adrian Martinez that we saw at times during his Nebraska career. And now if you're Kansas State, you just hope you see that Adrian Martinez a heck of a lot more going forward in Big 12 play, Mason. Well, most of all, it's, you know, it's the Adrian Martinez that, that Chris Kleiman and Colin Klein were looking for this week. It's the Adrian Martinez that, I mean, I, I think it depends. It's, it, it's all how people view it, but I took it as this past week, the way that Chris Kleiman handled things, that they were – semi-publicly challenging Adrian Martinez to pick it up a little bit and that they knew he was capable of more and that for whatever reason he was holding back and again I don't think that's like any fault of his own or a lack of ability 
I think it's just like a mental hurdle that the, the trash that he had to deal with at Nebraska went on for so long and was so hardcore anti-Adrian Martinez. We now know, looking back at that situation, he was not the problem. He was certainly not the problem. That would have been a man named Scott Frost. And I think it was just getting to that point where, hey, let's get up and go. And Chris Kleiman kind of talked about it last night, how there was a little bit of a, an extra buzz or a juice, you know, coming off the loss. And somebody asked, hey, like, does it does coming off of a loss, like, do that for you typically? And he's like, well, it's never good to lose. And that is true. It's never good to lose. But honestly, like, I don't know if they beat Oklahoma last night, if they eke out that game against Tulane, because I don't think anything changes for the offense or Adrian Martinez, because I think they still have to go and have that learning moment of, oh, crap, we just lost. And now let's analyze why we lost. Well, we didn't look good throwing the football. We maybe didn't take some of the chances. And I was really surprised to hear Adrian Martinez last night very candidly say that he felt like he left some heart out on the field in the Tulane game. And he wanted to take ownership of that. And uh, Deuce Vaughn said it best last night. Adrian Martinez played his balls off. (laughs) And I am 100% on board with that statement from Deuce because he did that. And then some, it was an impressive night for him. And uh, I mean, he deserves all the kudos. And, And that picture of him, taking the bow after the final touchdown, that is going to be one of those pictures that like you're going to see for years and years to come around K-State football, no matter how the rest of the season turns out. But you go on the road and you beat a top 10 Oklahoma team in Norman, um, it, pretty good chance that you're, you're going to be able to uh, use that for, for a while. So really good night there. And it seems like things have maybe been flipped around. Other guys that had really good nights, I mean, Deuce Vaughn, it seemed like, uh, he, was, he was struggling at times, but also then you would look and be like, oh, he's going over 100 yards again. Like, Deuce is back to normal. And he, he was impressive yesterday and took a beating. Like, I'll be interested to hear what he has to say later on in the week about some of those hits because the Oklahoma defenders were, like, picking him up and throwing him around and tossing him and slamming him down. So uh, I, I thought very impressive in every element from the offense. And then we figured out who K-State's top wide receiver is. It's Ben Sennett of all guys. So Ben Sennett had a huge night. So everybody stepped up uh, and it was, it was just one of those nights to take a quote from uh, the great Bruce Weber. That was the magic level last night for K-State football. That, that They played at the magic level because everything clicked on offense and the defense did just enough at the key moments to come through and in the end help deliver a victory. Yeah. And I think what maybe goes a little bit overlooked is how well Adrian Martinez started that game and how well he ended that game. Obviously, I think everyone kind of remembers how well he's ended the game. Obviously, when you look at his big runs in the fourth quarter, but through the air, he started the game seven of eight, including a touchdown pass to Malik Knowles. He ends the game, ironically, also seven of eight. Um, and his last pass is, I believe, a 20 or a two yard gain, a two yard pass completion to Phillip Brooks um, with about four and a half minutes left in the game. And to start the game that well and then to end the game that well, a lot of times, you know, you see quarterbacks come out and they find ways to start the game well because there's a script and an offensive coordinator, in this case, Colin Klein's really confident in what they've got drawn up. And you see Kansas State come out, you win the opening kick or you win the opening toss, you choose to elect the kick, which is something that doesn't happen a whole lot. Chris Kleiman's done it twice now this year and it's worked out in their favor each time. So maybe he starts doing a little bit more. 
But to see him kind of come out and make plays on that first drive because the plays kind of broke down on a few different plays on that first drive. And to go up 7 nothing because of the success Adrian Martinez had in those opportunities to find open receivers for seven-yard gains, six-yard gains, then a 25-yard gain, a 20-yard gain before eventually finding Knowles for a six-yard gain. It's like those were plays that he made because he was able to keep his eyes on field and he found receivers that were open. He extended plays by evading tacklers in the pocket and he did that throughout the entire night and it contributed to big passes to guys like you said like ben sinnett who comes into last night's game and he's got like seven career receptions in his entire career and less for less than 50 yards i want to say it's for like 35 yards and he ends the game with four receptions for 80 yards and three of his four catches are for at least 20 yards and none bigger than i think his last one in the fourth quarter that goes for 21 yards and yeah, there was 11 minutes left in the fourth quarter, but it was such a big play because in the third quarter, no team got more than a field goal. And for Kansas State to kind of come out and start with momentum here in the fourth quarter, like we saw last night, like that was huge. And it just felt like, and I know I said this too during the game yesterday, that Kansas State was kind of like playing with fire at times in the game after the 14-0 lead by letting Oklahoma get back into the game and tie it. But then they responded and they came back and they got a touchdown to go up 17-14 or yeah, I think or touch on a go up 21 14, I think is what mm-hmm. they did. Um, maybe it was a field goal I made. It was true. They, they went up 21 14, they held OU to the field goal, and then they made sure they got the field goal before yeah. the end of the half to be up by seven and a half, which is huge. And kind of to what you're saying, real quick, like every single possession for K State, and when you're in K State's position, like each one is big. So, like Ben Sennett, even with 11 minutes left to go. That was a monster part of the game because if you're trying to pull off a win like this, there's a reason why not very many teams go to Norman and win over the last, you know, close to to 25 years now or more than that, I guess. It's because of situations like this where they are so good and they're playing at home and they have everything that can go their way. And you have to try and be really sharp in case State delivered big play after big play yesterday. And they were big moments. mm Mm-hmm. Like that that was the big thing. And when you're trying to spring a big upset, especially on the road, you have to make big plays like that in big moments. And Kansas State did that. And maybe that's something that isn't going spoken about enough because so much attention has been put on the success that Adrian Martinez had in this game. But go look at some of the plays that Malik Knowles had. He had four receptions yesterday for 52 yards. That's the best game he's had this season. But aside from the touchdown pass, late in the game with 7-17 left in the fourth quarter, he comes down with a catch um, for 25 yards. Like those are big plays and chunk plays that we didn't see Kansas State make in the first three weeks against Tulane. I think they only had two passes or two plays that went for more than 15 yards. And on Saturday, they had eight plays of at least 15 yards, eight passing plays of at least 10 yards, and nine running plays of at least 10 yards. That's 17 combined plays of at least 10 yards. That's ridiculous. It was, I mean, it was a, it was a fantastic game. And I think the thing that also makes it all the more impressive is that it wasn't like mistakes were made by either side. I mean, both sides played a pretty perfect game. Now you can say, yes, there were penalties. There were some moments of miscommunication between Dylan Gabriel and like Drake Stoops had a moment where it looked like he was wide open they had a couple of other throws that were a little too hot or just something that, that went awry, but there weren't any silly turnovers like that. That's the thing that contributed to K-State's win in 2020. 
Spencer Rattler was playing a Power 5 opponent for the first time in his college career. He was a little loose, and he had some silly turnovers that gave K-State an opportunity. Now, they made the plays to get those takeaways, but there was an element there of Rattler being at fault. Um, Even, like, you go back to 2012 and 2014, like, K-State ended up with defensive touchdowns in those games, and they were silly ones. Like, there was the, the fumble that ends up getting recovered in the end zone in 2012. There's the Danzel McDaniel interception at like the two-yard line in 2014. And so those were silly mistakes. Uh, Oklahoma also missed a kick in that 2014 game. I think it was the extra point that would have tied the game. So there were mistakes made there. This was the first time that K-State has beaten Oklahoma in a game where they did not make a mistake in the last decade. I mean, 2012, 2014, 2019, 2020, there were all errors that aided K-State. Last night, they just made it happen because – Really, I, I mean, I would go and put it in there with the 2019 game. Like, they had a superior offense last night. K-State answered when they needed to answer, and they were able to make plays. And obviously, they put up more points, which is, you know, the, the element of a better offense. But it just from top to bottom, it was impressive last night. And, you know, we always do three positives, three negatives after the game. It's really tough to be able to find three negatives with how K-State played yesterday i mean you you can like nitpick at a couple of things but they're really minor i mean when, when i'm in there and i'm complaining about like well you, you know you had more guys dealing with cramps which you knew was going to be the case it was hot you just dealt with them the week prior how'd you make sure that not everybody was drinking enough water during the week but like that's something that that's just searching for a reason to, to find some anger because k-state played really really well yesterday and, and you know we see the top 25 come out um that is a team that is deserving uh, of that number 25 spot. I mean, I know the Tulane loss looks silly, and I know that's going to bother some people that they just lost to Tulane uh, a week ago, and now they're in the top 25. But I think a lot of people can agree um, that if you actually paid attention to what went on, like the K-State is deserving of that spot that they have. Yeah, for sure. And it just goes to show that a lot of the preseason hype in terms of national media kansas state kind of became a darling in the big 12 right like they didn't get a lot of picks at big 12 media days correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think they got a single vote to win the big 12 i think they were was it picked to finish fourth fifth is that uh, they were picked fifth they were uh, there was a pretty clear top five but they were the one that was picked fifth yeah so you know to be picked fifth but they were kind of labeled as a potential dark horse if things kind of fall into place and Yesterday was the first time that things really fell into place for them, and we saw them be a team that was ranked number six in the country, and I don't really think rankings matter very much at this point in the year, and obviously Oklahoma has had some moments this season before yesterday's game that made you question, okay, is that really a top 10 team? Is that really a top six team in the country? I mean, they were essentially down at halftime against Kent State, and give Kent State credit. like They obviously played really well against Georgia yesterday, and Sean Lewis is a very good coach down there in the MAC conference with the fun offense, but... Oklahoma should be pounding them. Um, and it's not like the win against Nebraska is like a huge thing to write home about because Nebraska is one of the worst power five teams. But what they did to Nebraska was very impressive with their offense, with what Dylan Gabriel was able to do. And he's had a good game against Kansas State yesterday. But that's going to happen in Jeff Levy's offense. That's that's what opposing quarterbacks do. That's what you know those offenses are designed to do. They're designed to run a lot of plays in a really fast manner, and they're going to lead to big plays. And that's what happened for Oklahoma. But – Kansas State's defense was able to essentially bend, not break for most of the second half. I mean, to allow just a field goal in the third quarter. And then I know they ended up allowing two touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but one of them was at the very end. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things where you're kind of 
laying back, you're in a little bit of a prevent defense. You're trying to not get beat over the head, so it allows Oklahoma to kind of and and really both of them were like that because once they go up two scores in the fourth quarter, they're just trying to say, hey, it's okay if you score, but every minute that that counts off the ultimately clock. matters, you know. Yeah, and that's well, and they go up two scores right with eight minutes left, and then they go mm-hmm. up two scores again with about two minutes left. And once you go up two scores with two minutes left, I mean, the, not just two scores but two touchdowns with two minutes left. Essentially, that game should be considered as being over I guess you could kind of say but yeah I mean the way that they played yesterday was indicative I think of what a lot of national media people were labeling this Kansas State team to potentially be from Stuart Mandel at the athletic I know Andy Staples was kind of all over that at the athletic as well and then Max Olson who does a good job covering the big 12 for the athletic as well like all these people are kind of labeling Kansas State as this team that could potentially make a run in the big 12 and now you start 1-0 because of a dramatic win on the road against Oklahoma. And we got on here last week after they lost to Tulane Mason, right? And we're talking about how, you know, yes, it's a bad loss, but all of your Big 12 conference goals are still in front of you. And not to try and be like the eternal optimist here, but that was the reality. And players were saying that in the week. They were saying that after the game. It's, yeah, this loss really sucks. And, yeah, it's really embarrassing, but our Big 12 goals are still in front of us. And I think – you and I talked about this in the car that most Kansas State fans are realistic enough, and I think Kansas State and Chris Kleiman is realistic enough to recognize that a playoff berth probably wasn't very realistic for this team entering the season. But a competing for a Big 12 title, certainly realistic, and going to Oklahoma and doing that to the Sooners is indicative of that. Yeah, I mean, and, and kind of thinking about how things played out, I mean, I – I, I think that the attitude and the mindset and everything that they had, like is a credit to a lot of people involved. And, and I mean, I, I just kind of wrote about it this morning, but thinking about the way that things played out this week, Chris Kleiman was very transparent about the fact he's like, hey, yeah, me, Colin Klein, Adrian, we had a, we had a meeting this week and it was just cut it loose. And it certainly that, I mean, that first drive, you immediately went, okay, that's what cutting it loose looks like. Like, I can see it right there. That's that's what we needed to see, and it, w- it was really impressive what they did. Like everybody deserves credit for for how things played out uh, with the offense. Now thinking about Adrian and and things moving forward, uh, I thought everybody played better last night in a lot of ways. I think there's still maybe a few question marks on the offensive line, but when you consider the fact that even though there were still a few drops out there. Malik Knowles was a little bit more consistent and came through. Adrian threw the ball with conviction and wasn't worried about turning it over. I mean, there were a couple of balls that were a little bit dicey and you kind of gasp. And I think there was maybe one or two where uh, there were people near us, maybe even, even ourselves are like that gets picked off last year at Nebraska, but last night it didn't. And I don't think it's a coincidence. Like I don't think it's just luck of the draw that it didn't get picked off last night and it would have at Nebraska, I think it goes back to kind of what I was saying where they needed to get Adrian into a mindset where he knew that he was talented enough. And I think Chris Kleiman reminded him of that. Chris Kleiman reminded him that they had faith in him. They just, you know, needed him then to have faith in them that he would be able to turn around and have faith in the system and that that would all work out. And ultimately it did like it, it played out in the way that it needed to. So uh, I, I think things went about as well as you could have asked last night from the, the Martinez side of things, because even if they had lost that game, say Oklahoma comes back to win it, which would not have been out of the realm of possibility for how talented they are, it would have stung. 
it would have been awful, would have been miserable for a lot of people. But we at least, you know, 24 hours removed from it could have sat here today and agreed that Adrian Martinez seems to be in a better spot. The big question, though, is, is that consistent? Is it sustainable? And are we going to see that next week against Texas Tech and for uh, all eight of the final regular season games this year? Right. And that was the biggest knock on him at Nebraska, aside from all the turnovers, the 46 combined interceptions and lost fumbles over the last four years and his career as the starting quarterback for the Cornhuskers, right? Like that, the turnovers are what everyone kind of looked at, but it was also just the erratic play of one week. He looks like he's capable of being one of college football's best quarterbacks. And then the next week he looks like he's not even an all conference player at best. Like in now it's just about being consistent and continuing to find that level of honestly swagger and just playing with the freedom that he did against Kansas against Oklahoma that came out on the first drive. He just came out and he threw the ball and he played with conviction, which is something we haven't seen him do before the Oklahoma game. He ran when he wanted to run, he tucked it and he went when it wasn't, when a play wasn't there, he just ran. And you know what? Like, I don't think his expectation was to come to, Kansas state this season and run as much as he did in his time at Nebraska. I don't think he wanted to do that. He got pretty banged up in his career at Nebraska doing that. Namely a broken jaw that he played through last year that had to be essentially wired shut with special rubber band kind of things. I don't know exactly how they worked, but he fought through all of those things to be in this situation and have one more opportunity to go prove himself as a college quarterback and potentially be an NFL quarterback. If things kind of work his way and maybe that happens, maybe it doesn't, that's a long way into the future, but for him to get to a point where that is a possibility, he needs to play like this the rest of the season, five touchdowns a game, probably not realistic to expect, but why can't it be realistic to expect him to complete 62% of his passes on a gamely basis for 200 to 250 yards with, you know, 50 to 75 rushing yards a game. Is that a fair expectation with two, three total touchdowns a game? Like, I think that's fair. And the biggest change, in my opinion, what I saw of him in the passing game, Mason, was just a belief in himself and the wide receivers. We saw him throw balls on Saturday that we haven't seen him throw all year. One that comes to mind is actually one that falls incomplete. He gets flushed out of the pocket runs to his right, extends the play. Cade Warner is on that side of the field, and he decides to go deeper instead of coming back to the ball, and Martinez lost it, and it ends up falling short of of uh, Cade Warner's hands. But he ends, but it, it's, it's the type of play that makes Adrian Martinez so magical at times because he will complete that pass at points in time, and we didn't see him even attempt plays like that in the first three weeks mm-hmm. of the season. And whatever switch just flipped for him, I don't know what it was, keep it there if you're Kansas State. Like, whatever you did, keep pushing that button. And if you're a Kansas State fan, you better hope they keep pushing that button. Because they're going to need it in a Big 12 that's been very odd. I think it will be – I think it will stay the way things were. I mean, expecting him to play at the level that he played at against Oklahoma every game here on out, that's not going to happen. Like, that was one of those games that's, like, up there. I mean, he said it was, you know, most fun he'd have playing football in a long time. Probably the best he'd ever played. Like, it was everything you could have asked for. That's what that was. But, like, I think that the way things played out, like, if you've got some kind of mental block and mental hurdle to get over, you go on the road and you do that kind of thing to Oklahoma, 
And he, like I said, him attempting some of those throws that were maybe 50-50 balls and could have been a turnover, but they weren't, I think that shows growth. I think that shows that he is uh, he's made some changes and, and that he's going to put himself in a good spot now. So I actually think it stays because I think something like that, that uh, mentally you, you maybe get kind of hammered down on, once you're able to get over it, then you're good. But if you can't get over it, then it wrecks you. I mean, like the the golf the golf comparison is pretty prime because we see this happen to golfers more so than anything where they lose their swing or they lose, you know, whatever it may be. And they're just not the same. Like David Duvall was world number one. And he goes from being the guy that can be right there neck and neck with tiger to he drops off. And for the last, you know, 10 years, David Duvall has been on TV trying to tell us what tiger's doing. Meanwhile, Tiger's been able to go out and, and still win major championships within the last three years. So uh, I, I think that the fact that he was able to get over it says a lot about him, says a lot about what happened this week inside veneer with Coach Kleiman and Coach Klein and, and those guys. And uh, I think it sets the stage pretty well for what's coming forward for them because they were they were really good on uh, Saturday night. A couple of other shout-outs real quick on Saturday Deuce Vaughn continues to maybe be K-State's best uh, pass blocker. I don't know. But pass blocker and run block, like he's done it all. So if if Cooper Beebe goes out with cramps again, I guess they could throw Deuce on the line for a play and see how that goes. Um, but he, he picked up some big blocks again. Defensively, uh, I know that you, you kind of talked about the bend, don't break type of thing. I thought they did as good of a job as they could, at least given the circumstance of how the game was playing out. Obviously, I think it's asking a lot for them to shut down that OU team, especially at the pace and the style that the offense was playing at. Yeah, listen, um, giving up 550 total yards, that ain't very good. No, but uh, the game dictated that. Welcome to the Big 12, Alex. Thank you. Yeah, you're just going to have to deal with that. Over 1,000 yards of total offense I love it. in the game yesterday. But I think they did a good enough job. They obviously got beat. They had a tough time handling some of the guys in coverage but here's the beauty of that like you're not going to face a team better than Oklahoma the rest of the season so even if there are some other teams that can maybe replicate stuff like that against you and there there showed some some cracks in the K-State defense um, I, I'm not going to make any grand overreactions because also sometimes you just play games like this so I don't know if you have any different thoughts on the defense or anything positive that you want to chip in and and what they did last night yeah I do want to give some credit to Joe Klanderman, the Kansas State defensive coordinator, for doing an effective job, in my opinion, of disguising coverages just enough to make things a little bit difficult for Dylan Gabriel and Jeff Levy, Oklahoma's offensive coordinator. Oklahoma's offense is really, really simple, and I broke it down in a film review looking ahead at the game last week. And essentially, it's just looking at the safeties to determine if it's a, if you're going to run an RPO, you're going to hand it off to one of your two running backs, Eric Gray or Marcus Major, or you're going to have a one-on-one matchup with a wide receiver on the outside. And Chris Kleiman said after the game that given the personnel packages and where they were positioning players during the game, that they were expecting Oklahoma to just try and RPO them to death. And they didn't do that. And I think that gives a lot of credit to what Kansas State was doing to disguise things just enough to make it a little bit difficult at times for Dylan Gabriel. I mean, yeah, he has four touchdown passes, 330 yards, and he also runs for – 61 yards I think it was yeah 61 yards on seven carries and he's got a few few carries of at least 20 yards to inflate that a little bit but yeah I mean I think the defensive backs played really well Julius Brents was feeling himself most of the night I feel like he was talking a lot of trash 
for whatever reason, he just carried himself with that kind of swagger last night. And that was really cool to see. It's always fun to see cornerbacks kind of carry themselves that way. And Kobe Savage ha- probably has his best game of the year, has 11 tackles, um, eight of them of which were by himself. And while Kansas State didn't get a ton of pass rush on the night, which is tough when you only have three rushers and three, three down linemen, I feel like they were able to get into the backfield enough to make Gabriel scramble, which you'll, which you'll take. Especially at key moments. They, they were able to do that at times and they, they eventually did get a sack. Uh, it was Austin Moore and Jalen pickle that kind of teamed up back there and it helped kind of just delay things and slow things down. And I think that's one of the other bigger things with the defense last night that can be given credit to is when OU's pushing the ball and they're just trying to go and Dylan Gabriel just got in the, you know, screw it. I'm going to chuck the ball down the field mode. The K-State defense did enough. They did as much as they could to actually just, hey, w- we know we are probably going to give up a touchdown here. Let's just not give it up in 30 seconds. Let's make it turn into, you know, a minute 15, kind of like when OU got to the goal line. So uh, I think that they deserve uh, a lot of credit for that. Uh, AP Top 25 came out. We're trying to rip through this for everybody because I know everybody's probably either watching football, uh, enjoying dinner with their family, or is like us. Uh, last night was a late night. Uh, some of you for celebrating others of you for who knows what, but uh, K-State is into the AP top 25. They are the 25th ranked Kansas state Wildcats of note. They are ahead of one specific team, the team that came in just behind them at the unofficial number 26 spot, the Kansas Jayhawks, Uh, the 26th best team in the country right now is Kansas. Not quite as good as Kansas state though. So that's pretty significant to uh, a lot of people. Uh, what are your thoughts on on the Wildcats being ranked in Kansas? Not I'll put you on the spot and I'll let you become public enemy number one. Um, generally, I don't give a damn about rankings; they don't matter to me at all, especially at this point in this season. I'll start paying attention to the rankings when ESPN starts releasing the playoff polls. Um, I know it's something that fans care about. So, if you're a Kansas State fan and you're watching, congratulations, your team hey, ranked in. Listen the top here, 25. Illinois. It's fun to have a little number next to your name on the score bug. I'm sure it is. I don't care. Like, it does nothing for me. Like, what do these rankings mean? They mean uh, that you get a little bit of pub for it. It's better. Look, they exist. It's better to be in a ranking that you may not care for than to not be in it. You know, like you can say, I don't, I don't really care, but it would be better to be in it. You know, like my brother's a senior in high school and he tried playing this whole thing off like, uh, I don't really care if I'm up for like home, homecoming king or not. And I think to myself, okay, that might be true. Like you don't care, but it would be nicer. Like if you were, because it exists like that, that says something. So same thing with top 25. It's a popularity contest. Sure. It's, it's fun to have a number next to your name when you're a fan of that school. To me, it's just like the rankings don't matter too much. And obviously it's really fun for Kansas people and it needles. People well, in the state it's of Kansas. not fun for Kansas with a capital K. People. Well, I was speaking when I say Kansas people, I mean like Kansas residents. It needles members of this state, residents of this state who are Jayhawk fans that they're ranked legitimately one spot behind Kansas State. Like that is, if you're trying to find ways to upset Kansas fans after their four and star, which I can't imagine there are very many ways to do that. That would be it to rank Kansas State 25th and rank Kansas 26th, despite Kansas being 4 0 and not having a loss to a group of five opponent. But 
Kansas doesn't have the marquee when the Kansas State does. So I don't have any major takeaways. I'm not a huge top 25 person. It's obviously really fun to follow if you're a fan, but it's just not something that I pay a whole lot of attention to until the college ball playoff rankings come out because those actually do have some impact on the sport. A uh, couple of notes on how this ends up playing out. The Here's the thing. If you're if you're one of those people that's upset about Kansas not being inside the top 25, it's fully be because the people that didn't that voted for Kansas did not vote them high enough. You did not uh, showcase your affinity for Kansas as hard as like Kirk Bowles did, who had K-State at 13th. You'll learn to uh, know that Kirk Bowles of the Austin American Statesman is a big K-State guy. He uh, always gives the cats a lot of love. In the Can AP we just explain how this works for people that don't understand how the AP Top All 25 right. works? There are 62 voters around okay. the country from and a bunch of different all publications. Well, They're no, all, not necessarily. Most uh, of them are beat writers. Most of them are people like me, like Mason, who yeah. aren't privy enough to be able to watch college football for hours upon hours upon hours every Saturday because they're stuck watching one game for most of the day. For those uh, that would like to know, here locally, uh, the late, the great Kellis Robinette, I about said the late great, he is not dead, uh, at least to my knowledge. I saw him last night at like 11.30, still alive. So uh, T's and P's to Kellis. Uh, I didn't want to prematurely kill him here, but uh, he is the he has a vote. And he did have K-State in at number 24. He did have the Jayhawks at number 20, though. Uh, and then also Blair Kirkhoff of the Kansas City Star has a vote as well. Other notable guys that have votes, Reese Davis of ESPN, the host of College Game Day, who they've all been salivating over Kansas over the last couple of weeks. Uh, he had Kansas in his top 25, not K-State. Just a little note there. Um, and then a couple of others just to like put on people's radar, and I'm sure the – the fantastic D Lou on Twitter has already done this with studs and duds today. I've not looked at it yet. Um, but I do know that I just saw it. I got to find it again to, uh, make sure that I'm good, uh, with my, my actual like spot on report here. Uh, Don Williams of the Lubbock avalanche journal, who I assume will be in Manhattan this coming weekend. He did not have K state in his top 25 either. So, uh, he is coming with the red Raiders to town and he did not have the cats in the top 25. Actually, though, as I look at his top 25, I do kind of agree with it more than most of the other people around here. Like, he's got Oklahoma State at 19. I think that's a lot more realistic than where Oklahoma State actually is with, uh, like, top 10. I, I don't actually think Oklahoma State is at that level. Guess so, what I mean. just keep that in mind. Uh, collegepolltracker.com is a good option if you're trying to kind of figure out what the circumstance and situation is on, and who voted for who and how it all works out. But... Just know that, and uh, for any of you out there, if your KU buddies are, are wanting to kind of rib you at work tomorrow, just say, hey, look, number 25 versus number 26. I, I know which one's better in my eyes. So I know that's what my wife is going to have to do. She's been miserable the last uh, the last week at work, dealing with a bunch of KU people and their 3-0 semantics and everything else going on. Now you can go in there and say, hey, look, 3-1 and with a big win versus 4-0 and with no wins. Good for you. They have they have a couple good ones. Who? I mean, they've got. Is it two power five wins? No, three. No, they got. I mean, they've got. They've got some okay ones. They've got two. They've got two, but they're. I mean, it. Their power five wins are Duke and West Virginia. So. Man. All right. Well, this is what I mean. This is what they I mean. deserve credit. They deserve credit. Like that they offense is the credit. real deal. 
That offense is the real deal. They're moving the ball. They've also played terrible teams, and their defense, we'll see how it ends up looking. Uh, This week against Iowa State will be probably the best team that they've played so far this year. So we'll see what the Cyclones can do. Iowa State opened up as a two-point road favorite in Lawrence uh, this weekend. So that'll be of note. K-State is a seven-point favorite at home against Texas Tech for any of those that are interested. Um, as a as a gambling sharp like myself is, um, which shout out to my Utes who uh, they were in uh, some people's uh, top twenty fives, a lot of people's top twenty fives. So uh, good for everybody involved there. The Big Twelve. I mean, you said it yesterday. It really bugged you, although you're you're kind of looking forward to it. You're kind of not because it make it makes it really tough to kind of pinpoint where the direction of things is going to be. But uh, you come to a conference where it's wide open. Everybody can beat everybody as opposed to the Big Ten where you know that you show up and Rutgers is playing. They're going to lose nine times out of ten. So what was yesterday like for you experiencing kind of your first full Big 12 experience? Well, it was a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, I think we kind of knew this was going to be the Big 12 entry in the year. What that it was a lot of teams are evenly matched that, you know, you felt like you probably had two or three teams at the top of the league that you feel like you could slot in there and then after that it was a whole mess of well these eight teams could finish in any particular order some of them could win eight games some of them could win like three games and right now it looks like it's in terms of top to bottom and i realize it does have less teams than the big 10 the sec the pac-12 and the acc so it's easier for it to be deeper in terms of quality teams um the big 12 looks like it might be one of the it's really it's really deep like there's not a team in this league who I think is objectively bad at this point of the year. I mean, obviously West Virginia, you're probably looking at the bottom bottom tier of the league, but to go on the road and pound Virginia Tech 33 to 10 is pretty impressive, even, even though Virginia Tech's very bad. But it's a tough environment to go into and to pound them that way is impressive. And then obviously you look at what, you know, Kansas State did against Oklahoma, like we talked about. Baylor goes on the road and gets a win and Iowa State gets their offense going a little bit, and you know that's that's something that you wanted to see if you're a Baylor fan. And obviously, Texas continues to do Texas things, and like they've done since they fired Mac Brown, they lose to an inferior opponent, a less talented opponent, despite having a two touchdown lead in the fourth quarter. And at some point, Texas will either continue to do this and continue to make changes at their head coaching position. Um, at some point in the near or far future, with Steve Sarkeesian or Sark will get it figured out. One of those two things will happen. But, yeah. He won't. A, I'm comfortable you're, going on the record and saying that he won't. That was the most Texas thing to happen yesterday. I mean, that was like going, recapping the day yesterday, you would go, K-State, K-State played really well. They got an awesome win. Texas Tech, I mean, played at, at a perfect level. KU looked really good again yesterday. And Texas was Texas. Like, that's that's the best way to phrase it because – that's just what they do, and that's what Steve Sarkeesian is going to continue to do with them. Like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm done buying into Texas as everybody should be. I mean, I gave them credit for their whole Alabama thing. Like, that was impressive, and that kind of showed like what the high of Texas could be. But the that's the is, Texas we always get. You cannot lose the Texas Tech, which is to the credit of and maybe it was you or Gabe. One of one of you just kind of said like, this is what they do. They can play up with somebody. We see them play up with Oklahoma every year. The games that give them fits are the Kansases and Texas Techs and TCUs and and the people they should beat in the conference. So yeah, that, uh, was that, that was pretty good. Yeah, 
I don't want to get into a big long what is wrong with Texas debate here, but I'll say this, and we can leave it at this and we can move to another Big 12 game. Perfect. Texas and people in college football, Texas fans and people in college football are throwing out the qualifier that they lost about the loss to Texas Tech. Well, if Quinn Ewers was playing, Texas probably wins. All right, a couple thoughts on that. One, their offense scored 34 points. Their mm-hmm. offense wasn't the reason they lost the game. Two. Well, B. John Robinson might be. Sec- like second best running back in the Big 12 behind Deuce Vaughn. Two. <laughs> I'm Two. <laughs> Texas can't be in this position at this point in a rebuild, if that's what you want to call it, to still be having these issues. And I thought that Texas could have this kind of year. Like, I thought. They're so volatile because they're so talented, but they have issues. And until they figure out these kind of issues against these kind of opponents, it's going to continue to keep Mm -hmm. happening. And for whatever reason, they just can't figure it out under multiple head coaches now. So at some point, it's going to get figured out or it's not. But what makes this tricky is they're in a situation now where Quinn's going to come back and be the starting quarterback at some point, which is probably going to be good for them because he's clearly more talented than Hudson Card. And Hudson Card's had a good start to the year, and he's had pretty impactful performances the last couple of weeks, but Quinn's better. Maybe. But at some point here, like these can't keep happening to Texas and Steve Sarkeesian there because it happened last year. They ended up five and seven. They can't keep happening because when Arch Manning's there, like the Arch Manning thing is buying him time. It's buying him. Well, Arch is going to be here. But when Arch is there, like those things can't keep happening. And if if Texas either is going to figure it out or they're not, and if they don't figure it out in the long term, Sark's not going to be the guy that brings Texas back. And Texas is not close to being back. They're not. There are people who want to rush and make this declaration every single time they do something close to being really cool on a football field, whether that's almost beating Alabama in week two or almost beating Oklahoma last year before collapsing in the second half. Texas will be back, and we will all know when Texas is back because it will be very, very clear because they will do something over an extended long period of time that makes people realize, okay, Texas is legit now. It's kind of like what we're seeing with Tennessee to make that comparison. Tennessee did the same thing for so, 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 so long where they just found ways to lose games. And it's a much difficult, it's a much more difficult conference in the SEC for Tennessee, but they've just found ways to lose games. And now people are kind of looking at Tennessee and they're like, okay, I'm ready to press the green button that says Tennessee is capable enough to compete with Alabama and Georgia on a field this year at some point. You know who is back? K-State. K-State is back after that win yesterday. I, I sat there thinking to myself, I think it was like third quarter, halfway through, when do I pop off a tweet that say K, that says K-State is back, folks? I didn't do it because I figured I wasn't going to, to try and, uh, you know, set myself up for failure on the back end. Uh, a couple of things here with everything. Uh, TCU, real or not? That's from the good chef on YouTube. He wanted to, he commented through that out there. Do we think TCU is real or not? They, the, we all thought SMU was going to win that game yesterday. TCU was able to get out to a double-digit lead early and hang on to it. Uh, are the Horn Frogs a real deal, or do you need to get more info? Because that's kind of where I am. I don't. 
I don't know where SMU yeah, is. I thought because they kept, you know, the quarterback and running back and everything from the Dykes uh, regime that maybe that they'd have an edge because I just didn't believe fully uh, in SMU. But now I'm not so sure. So uh, I, I need to see more from TCU. They play Oklahoma this week. So that is uh, of note that they will get these I need to see more of them. But you could ask me in week 12, blank Big 12 team, good or not, I don't know if I'll have an answer at the end of week 12. <laughs> it's a fair point. That is a uh, very, very fair point. Uh, we will, we'll, we'll wrap things up here because we don't want to keep anybody too long. Also, I don't know where my wife is, but my dog is just scratching up a storm at this door. Like she needs to go to the bathroom or something. So I, I need her to pipe down, uh, but we'll, we'll finish things off. We'll have more throughout the week. Follow along with us at email online. Uh, plenty of coverage to get you caught up or relive everything that took place uh, last night in Norman because it was a pretty fun night. And uh, we'll have, obviously, Wildcat Weekly with Deuce Vaughn this week at some point. And also, now that I know how to go live through everything, this may just become something that happens a lot. So uh, we may run it by Deuce, and we may do a, a Wildcat Weekly with Deuce live because I think that would get the people – fired up and maybe do a little q a there through the youtube chat a lot of different things that we can do i'm ready to uh have it all at my disposal the final question your first road trip with me we didn't have to go very very far uh what was your favorite moment of the weekend oh that's a good question mason um i feel like we had a lot of good laughs on the way down there i mean you know what it is you know you know what the best moment is without Sharon, a doubt. missouri losing to auburn together Yes, that is without the thicker kicker missing a 26 yard kick. And then we're at the end of regulation and then we're going to overtime and we hear hear about Nathaniel Pete fumbling as he tries to extend the ball over the the pylon. And then we see the video and we're like, he didn't even fumble. He like threw it over the pylon out of the end zone. Yeah. Well, not out of the end zone because Auburn recovered it. But yeah, that that's probably number one is listening to the circus that went on at Jordan Hare stadium. Yeah, that was a, that was a good time. Also, uh, Need to share my joke real quick because the the parking attendant at Oklahoma did not understand it at all. This is uh, also so, high on the list. Yeah, Alec thought this was this was gold. I think he thought that I was mapping it out for a while. I just I thought did. of it sitting there while we were waiting uh, for some lady that didn't know where she was going. So we pull up the parking lot we were supposed to park in. Uh, I was trying to figure out the name of it all the time, and then I looked and I was like, oh, it's just right there on the ticket. Uh, it's called the Sarky lot. And so I, I get in there and I show the lady the ticket. She scans it. And I say, uh, I don't even remember how I phrased it, but I was like, I was like, Sarky is in Steve Sarkeesian. And she just kind of gave this blank stare at me. And I was like, ah, oh, you don't know who that is. And she's like, no. And I just kind of <laughs> drove on and it didn't land. But if somebody there had known that I was trying to suggest that maybe they had like named a parking lot after the Texas head coach, that would have either been funny or like I would have gotten a better reaction out of it. Instead, it just died and it wasn't as special of a moment as it should have been. So uh, I missed out there and hopefully other people enjoy uh, a really crappy joke that I tried to make. No, that was, that was funny. That one made me laugh. Would, as you're retelling the story, it was hard for me to not laugh as well. So, All right. Well, that'll do it for us. We'll have plenty more to recap throughout the week. Uh, Tuesday will be exciting getting to talk to Chris Kleiman again. And uh, I'm sure – the mood inside there will be a lot different this week than it was last week because last week was a little, was, was a little, little tense at moments in there. It was. It was. And I like looser, looser environments for press yes. conferences, to be honest.
loose is better. So we'll uh, we'll try and keep things loose as we continue on as well. Uh, and as always, check out uh, Ema online over on Rivals and get all of your K State information there. That'll do it for Alec and I, and we'll be back later on.